Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Even at a young age, Jim Mellick was artistically gifted. His middle school teachers would often ask him to complete drawings to help illustrate lessons during school. It was clear early on that Jim would become a successful artist, though he never could have imagined what that would look like. Enjoy this artistic conversation with your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, and hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. We are two days away from Veterans Day, which is why I've asked Jim Mellick to join me today on the program. Jim is a former professor at Cedarville University, where he taught three-dimensional design, sculpture, and printmaking. All of these courses will come into focus on the program as Jim and I talk about one of the most significant art exhibits ever to be displayed at Cedarville University. Prior to joining the Cedarville faculty, Jim taught at Colby Sawyer College. He founded the art program at Houghton College in New York and headed the sculpture program at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Jim has developed a national reputation as a master Ohio craftsman with hundreds of exhibits to his credit. And one of the exhibits, the Wounded Warrior Dogs and Other Parables exhibit, is currently on display in the Stevens Student Center at Cedarville University. If you're in the area, I highly recommend you come and view his art. Jim, thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. It's great to have you in studio. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So before we get into the conversation about the Wounded Warrior exhibit that, as I said, is here at Cedarville, Jim, I'm interested in learning how you first got interested in art and where did this love come from? Well, I, I, the art was a, a God-given gift. Um, sure. Whatever a career I had chosen, I probably would have been making art in some way at some point. And I was just lucky enough to be one of those people who there was still a need for art teachers. Yeah. And I began you know, teaching, uh, went to graduate school, and then began at the, teaching at the college level. What was it like for you to teach subjects that you had a professional and a personal interest in I presume it made it more fun and really eager for you to go to work every day. Oh, you know, definitely. Um, to being able to teach something that you love, um, I, I had a lot of, I think I had a lot of great ideas and um, it was maybe 24 seven, I was always thinking about how I could become a better teacher and I put a lot of energy into my students, you know, a lot of creative energy into my students. Of course, in that situation, you find as an artist, then that leaves you maybe only the weekends and vacations to to pursue your own work when you're right. not living through your students. So you mentioned, I want to drill down on this if I can. You mentioned that as a college professor, I assume that at all the places where you taught, including mm-hmm. Cedarville, that you put a lot of creative energy in. Can you give an example of what that would look like if if, if you were telling our audience today what that meant to, to those students? Probably the, my last two years of teaching at Cedarville, when I was able to design and see implemented the new three-dimensional facilities at, at Alfred, that was probably the first time that I've taught in a place that was designed for that purpose. Usually in sculpture, I'm teaching in small buildings off campus, in basements uh, where, there, right. where, where there is no light. And so... Every school where I was, I would always come up with drawings and some ideas of how to improve the facilities in some way. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until my last position where I was actually able to see some of those visions come come to life. Yeah. And in fact, I was going to retire two years earlier, but I retired. I taught two 
two more years because just for the opportunity to teach in those facilities that, uh-huh. that, that I had designed. And it was a great, it was probably my most enjoyable teaching experience because um, everything, everything just changed completely because the student interest and the enthusiasm that I saw when they had the proper space to work in, it really worked out great for them. So you came to Cedarville, was it from Calvin or from Houghton? Uh, I came to Cedarville, well, there's, there's been big gaps of time. Okay. And every time I left a teaching position, for example, at Calvin, uh, is I went in 1989, and two years prior to that, we had that Great Depression where people cut back. So my second year at Calvin, they had to cut back okay. new, all the new positions. And so every department had to get rid of one person, and we had a 300-student drop. Okay. Because of the, of that of that recession, and so I was the first to first to go, and first plus I go. wasn't Dutch. <laughs> that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> that made a big that made a big problem. Yeah. So then, so from Calvin, then you went to Houghton. Uh, no, I was at Houghton from 1980 to 81. Okay, and then you when at, did, 19, so, 1978 to 81? Excuse me, and then I moved to Columbus, Ohio, where I worked for 10 years as a full time artist, and. Then I was recruited to come to teach to at at, um, at Calvin College for two years, and then in '91 I came back to Columbus. Thank God I still had my studio and my house had not sold and it was still yeah. there, and so I got really involved in sort of more in the national art movement in a way, yeah. and then I would t- I did like Columbus College of Art and Design mm-hmm. and I did a lot of adjunct teaching around yeah. in the area. And then, um, then I moved out to Marysville, Ohio. I built my farm and my studio and, and my house and uh, with the idea of having a little school out there as well. Uh, and then, you know, I, I was even doing some substitute teaching in the, in the, in the elementary art, <laughs> if you can imagine. It was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting time uh, because I, 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 did love, I did love teaching. And, uh, I, but after a while, you know, uh, the the adjunct situation that gets a little bit old, right? And then through our church, I heard that Cedarville was in need of a sculptor. They wanted to start a, a sculpture program, and I began to looking into that. So at sixty years old, I went back to teaching, and okay. uh, that's there's a lot of life after sixty. I'll tell you that there is. And so, um, what were the challenges for you? Life after sixty, now just coming to Cedarville. There was there were there were some challenges like trying to make do with with what we had mm-hmm. and uh, how to how to make a you know a, a, a program uh, that they really never had a sculpture teaching as, as such here or, or or sculpture program so I was faced with starting a sculpture program but with very few resources to okay. work with and so it was we we would move from Jeremiah Hall we had the little building out there that we were and then for a little while I had like 500 square feet to teach and to, okay. in the security building for a little yeah. while yeah and so we were like um, you know it wasn't in grandma's basement but we were like moving around to different locations wherever you could find where, wherever we could find and um, and that's why when um, I I do believe that then the introduction to the industrial design program mm-hmm brought in a whole new group of students who were very attuned to thinking three-dimensionally and, yeah. and, and working with their hands. And it's when we got that group of students in and then the need was shown that, and, 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 then we, and I began to exhibit some things in the hallways of, uh, of what the students could do. Then I think 
um, there was more of a direction towards beginning, you know, get, maybe getting a new building in. And yeah. so, I'm, again, so I'm glad it happened within the last two years. And I think that that industrial design major went a long way to uh, getting the, the new ceramics facilities and, and the new sculpture facilities and a wonderful woodworking shop over there, which I think I had a little bit of design, you know, I enjoyed. Yeah, right. And not only that, but they gave me a wonderful assistant, Ron Bader, who was on our um, the, the staff, the uh, – uh, maintenance. He was on the maintenance staff, I guess. I'm trying to think what the correct word was okay. for that. Yeah, and I didn't realize that, but he had a BA. Uh, he had a BFA in sculpture, actually. Oh. And so, in his retirement, from he was able to come in and help manage the wood shop there. And it's like they, these students had like two teachers in that area at the, at the same time. Yeah. There was always someone there right. helping them and working with them. Right. And it was a it was a renaissance, I think, of, of what took place there in the last two years. Mm-hmm. So when when you were notified that you're the faculty of the year in 2013, right? What did that mean to you then, and, <laughs> and what what does it mean to you now? It was it was like groundbreaking. I mean, we're talking about a, a person in the arts, you know, fine arts, and or the a performance person, you know, um, it's, it's unheard of, and and I'm very appreciative of the faculty, you know, who supported that, just because our research and our scholarly work is not the regular. No. Sort of, sort of thing. Right. And I really appreciated the tolerance and the forgiveness of of our of my more acad- academic family, um, who supported me and and you know didn't throw tomatoes at me or something yeah. after, after I won. Yeah. No, I'm sure they wouldn't do that. So no, I don't. <clears throat> Jim, I want to uh, move a little bit and, and talk about your interest in art. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite kind of art that that you're drawn to most naturally? Um, I really think for for whether it's it, it is representational, you know, the animal forms, um, the at, at the very basic at the very base of everything is drawing, and and design. So that's where I kind of fit pretty well into the program here. Um, even from the abstraction, this uh, the idea that there's the best line, there's a perfect line, there's a beautiful line. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, um, I personally am drawn more towards the allegory, towards the narrative okay. of storytelling. Um, and I think that comes from my dad being a preacher and it comes from growing up in the church yeah. of the parable, mm-hmm. you know, the use of the parable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found that for a while I was using humor because it was, it was a little bit like, uh, um, you know, the gesture could get away with doing things. He wouldn't get beheaded by the king because he was he was meant to be funny, and you could say right. some things through humor, and get your point across. And then that humor turned a little bit more to uh, to compassion. Uh, sometimes when I feel not outraged, but when I'm very disturbed by current events and things that I see happen, mm-hmm. I let the dog tell the story through some form of allegory. So it's, it's, the allegory, like the parable, is it's a softer approach to getting your point across. Right and and not getting crucified right away, <laughs> you right. know. Right. There always there's a time for, there was a time for that, but leading up to it, um, as long it, it allows you beauty, beauty in the art, as well as the story that you're telling. Beauty is a great conveyor of truth, mm-hmm. um, and if you put ugliness out there. 
even though some people say that ugliness is more honest, it turns people off right away, mm-hmm. and you're not you're you're not communicating anything because then people will walk away. Yeah, they're shut down. So the parable has to be beautiful, but then there can also be a sting to it at the same time. True. So let's go down this path as a believer in Jesus, Jim. How are you able to weave biblical principles or insight into your artwork, or are you just really just trying to tell a story? Uh, it's yeah. It's more about it's more about the human condition. It's more about compassion, um, right and wrong. Okay. Uh, moral sens- moral sensibilities, um, rather than being didactic and 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 too preachy in my work. I, I, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm subversive in my work when it comes to mm-hmm. um, messaging. Um, which and I think. I think Jesus was subversive in his work when it came to messaging as well, because some of the people were to get it, the parable, and other people of the parable weren't to get it, because he had work to do yet, and he didn't want to be hung on the cross right away, so he had to keep it on the down low for a while, Mm. and still get us to build up the, the following and the understanding. Let's talk about the Wounded Warrior exhibit that's been on display at Cedarville University since October. Can you tell our listeners about this display and how it became an exhibit and what you are trying to communicate through your great work? It's a masterful piece. Uh, in 1981, I, I lost my job at Houghton College. In 1980, my mother had died of cancer. Mm. And I moved, so we moved, my brother had provided a place for us to live near the Ohio State University in, in, in the campus area. Uh, so we wouldn't be homeless. So I moved my family to to uh, Columbus, and um, and then that very brother died of cancer a year later after I moved mm. in 1983, and then my father died in 1984 mm. of Parkinson's complications. So I had four, I had one, one job loss and three family members die, and it was like, <clears throat> I'm kind of at the bottom of the pit. And it's sure. Like, there was only, you can only go up from there. Right. And so, um, I I'm just so thankful to God. I had a great family and kids, you know, which helped hold everything everything together. Um, and there was no way but up. No, something that happened to my art at that point. I think it, because my brother was a painter. The, my brother he has doctorate in philosophy from Ohio State University, and we were very close. And um, he was probably one of the closest brother. Really, it's like losing my losing my best friend. Yeah. I had to make sense of all of this. Um, but he was also, he called himself a soft surrealist painter. He had a, um, he was an amateur painter, and uh, we would always joke, because I was a professional artist, he was an amateur artist, and he was getting in shows, and I wasn't getting in shows. <laughs> so we were, we always had this thing going back and forth. Um, and, um, when that when he died, it's like the music died for me, mm-hmm. and um, at the same time, my art I was broken, and my art at that point became a lot more accessible, a lot more compassionate. It it went away from abstraction. It went towards storytelling. It went towards the parables, uh, because I was trying to live his sensibilities as well of of. of of humor and telling stories, and that soft, he had the soft surrealism or soft re- approach to things. So I wanted to do something that I knew that people 
not to please people, but you know, beauty was the was the important thing. I I had someone came to one of my shows. He said, I don't know what it is about your work, and this was when, this was abstract work at the time. He says it's just so beautiful, so positive, so full of hope. And I think that's the only thing I can see is that's Christ living through me. That mm-hmm. I had this. It wasn't a nihilistic approach like what else was going on in the 1980s. Right, right. But it was it was an art of hope, and. Um, and at that point, I realized uh, beauty, craftsmanship, uh, it's, it's not alien. You know, it's a way to reach the people and something that the people appreciate. And I began telling stories through animals. So in 1985, I did the stack of seven dogs from the, uh, an Irish wolfhound at the bottom to a chihuahua at the top. <laughs> and I called it the Tower of Bow Wow. But it really, you know, it was more like... I, the, the title of that was Stacking Dog. I mean, it was sort of a silly thing, but it's a little bit like Bruegel's The Blind Leading the Blind in that the dogs had blinders or they didn't have eyes and they were facing in different directions. Yeah. And they're all climbing on each other's back to see where they're going, but they're facing in opposite directions. So, uh, and it was a rather primitive, rustic style that I was doing at the time. It was just cedar. Some of these things were meant to be outdoors. But that's really where uh, my dog art began with that stack of seven dogs. And then, you know, that caught people's attention. And then there was a time when I was doing these painted wood parrots. Again, it came from a parable. There were 12 birds with one Judas, Judas vulture sitting in the middle of the, of the, of the other 11 birds. And it was called, a, you know, a paraphrase. And so, but these were, it was paradise. And all these birds were self-involved. And they were fluffing each other, you know, the feathers. And there's this one vulture sitting in the Darth Vader figure, you know, sitting right in the middle of this, of this group. And so that was sort of the first animal allegory. And that won the best of show at the Ohio State Fair in, in 1984. And uh, people wanted parrots. You know, they wanted some more wood parrots. So I had this little business, maybe over 250 uh, painted wood parrots that I sold throughout you know, mid-Ohio yeah. uh, in those early days when I could really use that money. And it worked out, it worked out well. So that, that's where the animal, the animal allegory began in 1985, and the dogs began at that time. But the dog... Um, the dog had always been a part of my expression because it was man's best friend. The idea is what they had the goods on us. Um, it was very close to it. The dogs would would give away our secrets for a, for a cookie if they could. Right. And so um, that that bond from 1985, I began working with the idea of that close bond of God, man, and man, dog, mm-hmm. so that we are kind of the God to the dog as we are the dog to God almost in terms of a relationship. We're a very a parallel relationship. A faithful a faithfulness yeah. and sacrifice and unconditional love yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Jim, in the exhibit uh, with the dogs that's currently uh, on display at Cedarville, how did you come up with the vision for each each dog? And did did you take images from dogs from military people or just was it your vision? Okay, so in in um in, in 2015, and this was like a year after. Remember, I said something about every time I leave a teaching position, there's sort of like this flourishing of renaissance of, right. of activity because now I can work on my own. And I'm not right. I'm not putting all my creative energy into my lovely students, you know. Right. But okay, so in 2015, I saw the veterans coming back from the global war on terror. They were coming back, especially after Afghanistan, with. Uh, two or three limbs missing, and, mm-hmm. and um, these were entries that seemed worse than anything I remembered from Vietnam, probably because they would not have lived. 
after Vietnam, with those injuries in Vietnam because we have these improved uh, triage and, and medical capabilities in the wars today. So they're coming home with more prosthetics. Uh, at the same time, the VA administration had some bad press about how they were using their money, how they were partying, and what they were doing. And you know, we had these uh, traumatic brain injuries going unnoticed um, uh, and undiagnosed and, and not taken care of. And I just didn't want people to, to forget. I mean, it was totally different than the Vietnam period. I mean, these were all young volunteers, and these are some of the kids that I would see at Cedarville, you know, walking around, walking around campus. The same, you know, the same age, and um, you know, my my heart just went out to them, and sort of a, a, a sacrifice, and you know, thank you for your service. Right. And, and I had, I wanted to do something, and I wanted to uh, create this allegory to remind people of that sacrifice. Now, people uh, are going to turn away when they're looking at a sculpture of of a, of a person in, in prosthetics. Right. But they're going to look at a scope of a dog right. in prosthetics, right. and our love for dogs add another level of compassion right. to this. Right. I mean, I cannot tell you the number of people that they were sobbing and, and and had their arms around me in these exhibits. And at that point, I realized that I wasn't just an artist, but I was like this confessor priest up there that uh, you know. You're helping. You're helping them recover and and deal yes. with, with yes. loss and hurt right. and pain. Right. The original idea of the Wounded Warrior Dogs was to raise money for veterans organizations and you know through through these exhibits and then i realized this exhibit of the wounded warrior dogs had a purpose of its own not a secondary purpose of raising money it was a cathartic experience yeah. and a cathartic event for these veterans right um, and there are stories of um when i had my first show in columbus upon returning from art prize uh you know winning the award in in grand rapids mm-hmm I had that first exhibit, um, and a, a young Marine veteran missing one leg was standing right next to the dog that is missing the same leg, and I had the picture of that. And his family told me later, his family was connected with our, our postmaster out there in Milford Center, Ohio, and uh, said that evening, after seeing that exhibit, he talked about exactly how he lost his leg for the first time. Really? He, he had opened up. And uh, I'm hearing that more. I heard a lot of those kinds of stories. Someone who, who had a Purple Heart, they didn't want people knowing that they had, had a Purple Heart, but when they saw heard their name mentioned and saw their piece and the dog on TV, yeah. they, they, they came out yeah. of their seclusion. So your artwork is more than just great artwork to enjoy, but it has a great meaning and a great benefit to the people, especially military families. Right. At the age of 70 is when I won that um, the grand prize in Grand Rapids. That was the first time I'd shown all the dogs together in, in a group. And I had no idea. I just wanted to get it up there for, so people could see. Right. I didn't, uh, and I didn't realize there was this, the public vote and the jurors vote. And right. overwhelmingly, the public voted me the grand prize of seeing that. I had no idea of what that response was gonna be to those dogs, so I was standing there with those dogs for 19 days Right. Talking to people and and, mm-hmm. and seeing them seeing them come through, I had no idea of the power. Yeah. And I think it's just uh, you know what God did. Um, I mean, so many of my so my friends, people who have helped out, they see this very much as a as a God driven event. Yeah, sure. So, how many dogs are in the current exhibit that's at Cedarville, the Wounded Warriors, and how long does it take you to carve okay. a dog? Well. 
the dogs take between 160 to maybe 200 hours for each to, to carve the dog. And it, a lot of it depends on the complications. Uh, but what keeps me driving is when I'm trying something new. Gonna, for example, I'm going to put wheels on this dog. Oh, I haven't done a wheel before, now I'm going to do a wheel. So there are, there are a lot of things that sort of propelled me along because I was discovering as, as, I, was, as I was going along. And everything's in wood, correct? Everything is in wood. Yeah, I, there are some copper details or some other little things which have been added. Because, uh, so with the allegory of the wounded warrior dogs, now I, I wanted to get uh, to represent veterans. I don't have from the Korean War, but I have the World War II. The Doberman is representing World War II. The German Shepherds of the Vietnam era and then the Malinois are representing the global war on terror in Afghanistan okay. and, okay. And, and Iraq. Uh, and then on the collars, I have their service ribbons so they can tell. Hmm. And of course, <laughs> the Vietnam handlers. Uh, by the way, I'm a national. I'm a, I already member of the Vietnam Dog Handlers Association okay. because they, they they recruited me because they appreciated the story, bringing attention to the 4,000 dogs that they had to leave behind right. at the end of the, of the Vietnam War. And uh, and people wondered why. Well, I said, well, I think we treated our dogs the same way as we treated our veterans in the Vietnam War. You know, it's just you know some were some were spat on, and um, mm, you know yeah. we again the allegory of how the dogs treated, how the man is treated. Yeah. It comes through. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, so we had the World War II uh, and then and, and the Malinois and the breed of the dog. Uh, and then the, the color of the wood goes with the breed of the dog. And that's why the display is so colorful as far as different wood species. And I had to do that one uh, chocolate lab that's in that show just so I could use walnut, <laughs> too. So how, what kind of wood do you use? Walnut, uh, sycamore, cherry, poplar. Not not much. I haven't, I haven't done... Well, I have done some oak recently, okay. But basically, no purple heart, so I'm not gonna. Yeah. How many dogs are in the exhibit? Right now, there are eight. Well, counting the flag draped casket, which suggests that there's a dog inside. Okay. There is eight of the wounded warrior dogs, and then another four of the canine war stories. So, from beginning to end, vision to finished product, how how long has it taken you to create? Uh, well. I can only go by each dog, so it'd be 160 to 200 hours. Okay, on the dog. Okay, a lot of time. And yeah. and they the wounded warrior dogs were created from 2015 to 2017, a period of two years, and then the canine war stories began in 2018, and that's an ongoing series with the with the canine war stories, and and this this has brought me into contact with some fantastic people, like who, uh, and 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 so uh, like. Luca, the you know famous dogs, and I get the, the stories for the canine war stories from other veterans and from authors and and, and from the books as well. And um, the, the the one that's coming up is I just I'm, I'm talking with uh, uh, Will Chesney, who was the the handler for Cairo, who went on the Osama bin Laden raid. So okay. I sent him a small replica of that dog, and uh, I think we're going to do a larger version of, of Cairo at some point. So, Jim, I recently learned that the Wounded Warrior display, once it leaves Cedarville or in that near time frame, it's going to go to the Marco Island Art Museum in Florida as a permanent display. Right. What 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 made that happen? What prompted that decision to? <laughs> well, first move of all, away? Everybody, first of all, I, I was uh, I was living on commissions. Besides that, you know, besides showing, and then I should tell you too. Uh, when I when I'm exi I found out at the Marine Museum that museums actually pay you 
to have the exhibit there. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. So, so you know, as an artist, you know, please show my work. So now, as an artist, I'm they're renting, they're they're buying the opportunity for me to display these dogs. Okay. And that happens in every museum. So there was a monthly rental. I had that income coming in, but the dogs were still stacked in my basement. And so there was like six years of work, you can imagine. Okay. And uh, uh, so um, I, I, I was in a gallery, and one, uh, an art patron went around the gallery and called me and said, well, what, else, what other work do you have? I said, well, I, was, I had offered this group to the Air Force Museum, but then COVID hit, and it just shat, that shattered everything down. And this is a retired businessman from Detroit, Michigan. And he says, I have an art collection, and I'm building a museum on Marco Island. And mm. um, so he wanted to see what I had. Well, when I showed him the proposal that I had for the Air Force Museum, he said he wanted to buy them all. Okay. And he's, he's going to put them on permanent display. And as an artist, I was concerned, what happens to me when I'm gone? These pieces, I always wanted them to be together. Right. So this is, you know, this is another godsend in that. Okay, so here comes this person. He sees the value, the story. He's going to continue loaning the exhibit out, and veterans will. I my only drawback is so far south in you know, in Florida that right. how often you you know will people be getting down there? But that's a good place you can go to Marco Island for other reasons too. Right. So, uh, yeah, they they're going to have a permanent display, a floor dedicated to them, and. Um, then when COVID hit and then the hurricane hit, the, the hurricane was just lapping at the door. It didn't go into the, in the, into the museum building. So it was, that, was, that, that was good. And the, the dogs are going to be on the second floor anyway. But uh, my benefactor said this building is costing me 400% now of what I had expected just because of the supply chain yeah. issues. Right. And so it's, they're not there yet. They're not there yet. But I, I – have faith that you know they will be they'll get there so what's the what's the next project you're working on or what's the current project you're working on i just completed a very difficult uh, it was a private commission for a collector and um i think he had, was aware of the work at the uh, akc akc museum of the dog in new york city okay. and he wanted a bulldog and a bulldog named stella and um first of all bulldog is only a mother's could, the face the mother could love, <laughs> could love that sort sure. of thing, and all these wrinkles and everything. It was it was it was a struggle for me. It took me all summer long, but I I took my time doing it. Um, the uh, you know the pay was good, and so it's just that's just finished, and uh, this is really really turned out really nice. And then I'm working. I also have I've hired my grandson, who is who's a senior, and he he'd been looking at Cedarville. He's been looking around at, at other places as well, but. Uh, I hired my grandson to, to to help me out in the studio and to help lift boxes and, and turn things mm. like that. And um, we're working on a flying some flying melon while we have some new canine sto- war, war stories coming yet. Well, I uh, I want to thank you for spending uh, this time with us. I, I want to close with one question, kind of bring it back to sure. the education. Uh, so when you think back to your career as an educator and now as an artist, how has your faith been woven through your lectures and your artwork is something which you don't really separate. So it's kind of hard to um, give little. You know, it's it's more than it's more. It has to be more than prayer. The opening of a classroom. Right. It has to. It's it's just solely the whole 
moral sensibility yeah. of what's right and what's wrong and about quality and a little bit of that Calvin thing about if you're going to be a shoemaker, you'd be the best shoemaker you can be. You know. So, cool. Jim, as you think back to your career um, as an educator and now as an artist, what, what brings you the greatest joy and satisfaction? Right now, as being a full-time artist brings me the greatest satisfaction because um, I've done my stint at teaching. Right. And, uh, in fact, I was offered to, um, offered to do some adjunct teaching coming up here, but it's an hour drive one way, and I'm doing good to get up in the morning now. Yeah. So, But it, it was, so for each, each season, there's, there, there's a joy. I, I have a lot of joys as a young man that I don't enjoy, that I don't have anymore like, as, yeah. as, as an older man. Yeah. So there, what brings you the joy is going to change. And, um, and right now it is my farm, um, my, our charity gardens. We, we grew a lot of vegetables for the, for the food pantry. And, and I found that um, I have to make up my mind, though, am I going to be an artist or am I going to be a farmer? And that's my... That's my biggest quandary that I that I have right now, and um, after cleaning up the, after spending the last week or so cleaning up my gardens and everything, I think I'm just going to try being an artist for a while and 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 traveling with that. Jimmy, it's been a delight to be here with you, hearing your stories, and thank you for allowing the Wounded Warrior exhibit to be here at Cedarville, especially as we approach Veterans Day and. Uh, um, I know if I ever get down to Marker Island, I'll, I'll check out check it out again. And could I add one more thing? Sure. I, one of the reasons why I'm showing at Cedarville, I had the, the pieces came back. They weren't ready to go to, to Marco Island yet after my Nashville exhibit. So I said, yeah, I told Aaron, let's, let's, let's put these in the show. The other, th- the other thing is, um, this is a thank you for Cedarville University. When I had my heart attack here in 2009, mm-hmm. um, everybody prayed for me in, in the chapel. Um, uh, they, they kept me on. They didn't. They didn't jettison me out into space, out the yeah. out, out, out the back door. Right. And uh, my other faculty f- filled in for me, uh, covering my classes when it was necessary. Yeah. And um, yeah, that just uh, they they gave me a sense of of a loyalty to the place that I was really impressed with. Mm. You know, no no matter how, what my teaching struggles were like at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I was very, very thankful for that. You're at the right place at Cedarville. And uh, again, thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories Podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.